0: And I always tell people, like, I want you to call me. Uh, like, I had a guy a few years ago who called me, you know, in April, and he goes, "Hey, we need to do my taxes. I, I sold my business." <laughs> I was like, "Wait, you you sold your business?" <laughs> He's like, "Yeah." And I was like, "Am I your accountant? <laughs> like, why why would you sell your business and not call your accountant?" <laughs> like, um, okay, <laughs> it, you know, and and it was all it, it just was not the way I would have advised him to do it It, yeah it was fine it was done but you know that's where i i always tell people i'm like i do not want to have you call me in april and tell me to file your extension and then drop off a bunch of crap in middle of july and me flip it back to you in august and we file and then i never hear from you again until april that's kind of
1: not the advice i want to give hello everyone my name is chris powers and i want to thank you for joining me on the fort podcast today this show is an open-ended discussion and journey covering real estate business entrepreneurship and investing i would love to hear from you by tweeting me at fort worth chris on twitter hey guys it's chris thank you so much for joining me today on the fort Coming to you with Mitchell Baldridge, who is quickly becoming a great friend of mine. We we met on Twitter. He is probably the most popular CPA and certified financial planner on Twitter. He is just full of some of the best advice and just has really thoughtful discussions. And so we met, and today we just talk a lot about kind of tax and uh, generational wealth and kind of planning for your life. We talk about uh, what families do great to keep uh, not only wealth in the family, but keep people motivated. Um, Wealth can be a, a great thing for a family. It can also be a bad thing for a family. And so we chat about that. We talk about real estate and the tax advantages of real estate and the things that people should think about. We talk about how we've both been able to use Twitter to really grow our businesses and meet really interesting people. And uh, it's just a really fun conversation. So thank you for continuing to join me and uh, enjoy this episode. Mitchell, thanks for joining me today on the show. Thanks, Chris. Glad to be here. Thanks for coming up to Fort Worth.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's exciting. One of my big clients is up here, so it's a good chance to get
1: up. Yeah, Mitchell and I met on uh, on Twitter six months ago, maybe a year ago. Uh, we become friends online, but we're actually meeting today in person for the first time. It's And yeah. you actually met another friend from Twitter who's in a client yesterday. It's all all Twitter, man. It's insane. <laughs> Let's just start with a little bit about kind of your story growing up and, and what you do today. Sure. So yeah, I, I'm a uh, Grew up in Houston,
0: uh, you know, went to school in Houston, graduated from University of Houston, and uh, worked at a CPA firm right out of college. Uh, went to a college for accounting, worked at a CPA firm called Gaynor Donnelly and DeRoche that's kind of split into a million pieces now that the partners have retired and they sold and all that. But uh, after I got my CPA, I went to go work for a firm called BDO at Gaynor Donnelly, we're doing kind of private client services, uh, wealthy families with trusts and estates and the grandma's return and the business and and all that. (laughs) And then at BDO, I was kind of working on uh, billion dollar public companies, private equity backed companies doing tax provisions, tax returns for, you know, huge stuff. And in 2014, left to go out on my own and uh, had a couple of clients, one of my college roommates was buying a building and <laughs> helped them structure it, set up the books, all that. And then, um, picked up their work and picked up a few things and have, have spun up today. Uh, there's 10 of us and we have, you know, a couple of hundred clients and we're growing rapidly and trying to manage the growth. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. What, what, what would you say y'all do? Beyond that, I, I, A couple of years ago, got a CFP and I'm a financial planner. And uh, so we're looking to a fractional family office, fractional CFO. We want to go soup to nuts with people, work very deeply, working on their, um, obviously, tax, tax planning, financial planning. We do uh, some investment management. Typically, we don't custody. We just help people with their investments and we do, uh, some bookkeeping work and then kind of consulting CFO one-off projects. But yeah, I want to have clients that I
1: work at a, at a deep level with, uh, on, uh, kind of a lot of what they do. So, and is most of what you're doing, um, like your bigger clients are those family businesses? Is it any, um, it's generally GPs or business owners okay.
0: who, uh, you know, are, Underserved by the traditional brokerage model, and that I mean, if they're older and they've accumulated a lot of wealth in their brokerage, still their business is traditionally their largest asset, or their GP share of their kind of real estate portfolio is their largest asset. It's very illiquid. It's very kind of highly, highly concentrated, and they, you know, the the folks I work with need advice on
1: that piece of their portfolio and everything else kind of surrounds that to uh, support that. It's amazing how many families I've met throughout the years that have these gigantic private illiquid businesses that just print money. Yep. But then you kind of look around it and it's like, just because you know how to make money doesn't mean you know how to invest money, doesn't mean you know how to plan with it, doesn't mean you know how to give it to your family. Sure. And you see it over and over, like these huge businesses, and you're like, well, if you could grow that business, you can do all the rest of the stuff. And it's like they're crippled once they get outside of the business. Yeah. And, uh, you know, also beginning with the end in mind of
0: how are we going to build succession in this business or when are we going to sell this business or how are we going to pass it down to our kids? And then, yeah, what are, what are we going to do with the money that accumulates are we going to invest it in the market or something else or real
1: estate or are we going to put it back into the business how you know how big can it grow it, so i have like two kind of topics today sure but as we're like starting to talk about this i think we could do a pretty cool 20 30 minutes on i'm gonna be a guy that has a big family business yep And I'm getting into my 60s and 70s because we know there's now, we're entering that generation where there's going to be thousands of us. And I come to you and I say, let's just say I've got a $50 million company. It's all I've ever done. I've got three kids. They've got kids. And I've never done any planning. Mitchell, what are we going to do?
0: Yeah, and uh, Twitter, frankly, has made me think a lot more about this. And uh, obviously, we're thinking a lot about this kind of at the at the old CPA firm at, at Sam Gaynor's office. But obviously, it's so much easier to take a seed. <laughs> like yeah. or You may not have a seed, but you have a a, a sproutling relative to kind of what it will be and, and kind of push it over the over the fence as opposed to it, taking an oak tree and trying to move an oak tree. I mean, it's impossible. So, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, yeah, that's the big question is, hey, you have this Fifty million dollar generational wealth transfer tax problem today. You're sixty, 60, 70, and the climate is changing into <laughs> what's going to be a more and more unfavorable thing. And you're now your money's making money on your money, and and it's not going to get better, and it has to be addressed. I mean, I kind of think of it in layers of uh, y- the initial thing is like, hey, I'm I'm got this side hustle, like yeah let's talk with, uh, let's start with hygiene and just really like compartmentalizing your accounting and do its own thing, setting up an LLC, doing an S corp, doing all that stuff. Then the second thing is like, oh, I have a real, I have a business now. I'm quitting my job. I'm hiring people. Then you, you get into that layer of trying to manage and grow your business. And then once you've gotten to this level of, Hey, I'm 50 and I'm wealthy you know, it, it's better to kind of <laughs> obviously rewind and take care of all that when you could have. But yeah, then you get into, you're not thinking about a bank account. You're not thinking about a business. You, you've zoomed out. and Now you're thinking about four generations of of wealth transfer. You know, Moses talks the most about this and we yeah. were talking about it the other day uh, about just kind of how do you begin with the end of mind and set up trusts, and and get assets out of your name that are still under your control and build systems and design a a family organization where you can pass down wealth and have it do what you want to do and have your children and grandchildren grow up the way you want to grow up (laughs) or you want
1: them to grow up. How do you design your life? And obviously people do what they're going to do and it it never... Well, it's kind of weird also because it's like as soon as you actually like you kind of talked about, it's like, you kind of go through your thirties and you're making it and you're like in your forties, you're kind of arriving. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, as soon as you have an issue to deal with, or as soon as you have enough money to have an issue, it's like, rather than like, enjoy it for, it's like, now we got to start, you have a new issue. It's like, oh shit, we just spent 20 years getting it. Now we got to figure out how to give it.
0: Yeah, um, I just accumulated a bunch of wealth and paid tax for the whole ride. And now I have this new tax problem of like, if I don't scramble and get it out of my own name, uh, then it's going to all be taxed again uh, massively and uh, beyond even tax. Just this kid can use the money and grow the money. This kid, if I give them the money, they're going to die. I mean, that's a reality and a a big issue of. Do you have to have that conversation?
1: (laughs) Like, do you ever play psychologist? That's all you do.
0: Or, you know, I mean, that's all everyone does at at a certain point is you go, Hey, what are your goals what is your
1: what do you want to do what what is going to happen at, once you play this all the way through so i'm 60 i've got a 50 million dollar business is your first question to me do you have a a, a kid that's going to take over it do you if you don't do you still want to own it and live off of it or are you going to sell it yeah yeah are, are we growing this to
0: sell or are we growing this to transfer and who's the operator? Who are the other pieces? How are we going to create an equitable, fair situation? If that's what you want, not everyone wants a fair situation, frankly. (laughs) You know, what is is a not
1: fair situation? uh,
0: Fair, you know, fair being every kid's going to get an equal amount. I mean, some people go, hey, that kid worked and helped me grow the business and they get to participate in the upside. That other kid uh, works in the business, but isn't, Contributing.
1: I mean, yeah. you know, okay, so you hear that. And yeah. Does your like radar immediately go up like this is going to be nasty? Well, <laughs> it just immediately goes.
0: It's just so important to understand what it's not my business. It's not my judgment. It's yeah. not my kids. Uh, you know, so I don't go and sit at, at your Thanksgiving dinner table. Right. So <laughs> ultimately, my job is to try to get to what the client wants and people have different levels of self-awareness. Uh, back to the psychological thing where you're going deep into like, well, what do you actually want? What is your plan? Because it's not my plan.
1: But I, don't they mostly not know what they want? <laughs> like they think they do, but they don't? Yeah, uh, probably. Yeah, I
0: was talking to another, it, in the same way that I don't want to take all people's assets and, and do whatever... I want to do with their assets. I I think people who go and build $60 million companies are smart people. It, it, like you said, they're, they are specialized and they have focus, but I think you're free to go do whatever you want with the money you made, right? right. It's your money. For and, sure. and so it's my job to help you kind of dig in and I'm not a psychologist, you know, but it is my job to help you kind of really just ask the questions about like, Hey, so you're going to give this kid that, and you're going to give that kid that, and you're going to give this other kid that is that what you want? Is that
1: fair? And is that like, so let's just assume I came to you and I just said, I'm not going to sell the business. I'm hiring a COO. I want the business to keep going. Sure. I'm parachuting out, I'm going to my beach house that I've deserved to be on, but I have three kids. What's your first question to me? I'd go, so if you
0: monetize this business or the value of this business, what do you wanna do with the rest of your life? What do you wanna spend your money on? How much do you wanna leave to your kids? Do you want your name on a building? Do you want your, where do you wanna give your money? what do you want to happen with all this when you're dead? Yeah, And then you kind of really design, what do you want your grandkids to have? What do you want your grandkids' grandkids to have? What do you want them? What do you want your family story to be? What do you want your community story to be? What do you want your wow. life story to be? And then it, you work backwards to try to make all that happen. And it's way different with like a 30 year old than a 60, you know what I mean? Because a 30 year old's going, I look at you and I'm like, my thing to you would be, uh, you have this leveraged equity, general partner interest in this company. Let's think about what we can do with your general partner interest to get it into some facility that when it's $60 million, you put it in at $10 million and, (laughs) you know, it, it gets to grow and grow and grow. And if it's not 10 million dollars yet call me when it is what's the velocity of that i mean you talk to the venture equity people where you go man what if you have the seed round of the next airbnb and what are you going to do with that when it kind of overnight <laughs> you know turns into something yep. that that becomes quickly unmanageable and there's i've seen people make 100 million dollars and be able to manage it in their life through trusts and through setups and notes and, you, you know, all all kinds of ways. But I, I would say, you know, you, you have the ramp up and, and you want to, as soon as you go, okay, I, this is happening. <laughs> this is going this way. This is going to multiply this way. If you can begin with the end of mind, but I mean, you have young kids, you don't know which one of your kids is going to have this and that, and yeah. you don't want to, It's all about in that kind of
1: like generational wealth and maintaining control while getting it out of your name. And, and is there like a certain dollar figure that no matter how old you are, once your net worth is X, you should start today, the,
0: uh, lifetime exemption is, you know, $22 million for a married couple, you know? So when you go, Hey, I'm there or I'm past there, or I'm going to be. Past there in four years and it's inevitable that yeah. you start thinking about that and you start thinking about kind of building that container of, of <laughs> how to structure, yeah. you know, the, the generational piece of it. And then, it, you know, and then that goes back to oh, when you make $50,000, it's time to go set up an LLC. You know, yeah. it's kind of built on this continuum of like, every time you hit a certain level, you go start to Pay more and do more, and and you don't want to have the same tax plan at fifty million that you
1: did at fifty thousand. I think. And one more kind of question on the like the giving part because so I know that's sure. that's a big deal for a lot of people. So you kind of know my story. I'm seventy years old, relatively healthy. I'll be around for a while. I've set up the kids, and you kind of said like your giving plan. Is it upon you to kind of help him think like? Okay, here's how much cash you're generating. Here, are tax rates, da 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 da. You should give half a million bucks a year, or how do you do? Like, how do you kind of prescribe what the giving strategy should be? I mean, I I have clients who give millions of dollars away,
0: and I have clients who kind of won't give, don't give at all, and that's their prerogative, right? You know, <laughs> or yeah. like ultimately, some people are like, no charity, yeah. I have a client they've built, they've given into this, they've basically built a private foundation and their family and they have a board which consists of their family, which is like a wonderful thing to do to, you know, they, they seeded it with a public company stock. That's just gone bananas over, you know, one, the great grandfather was the general counsel of KBR like just yeah. call it that. You know yeah. what I mean? And, and that stock seed is now worth it, and he set it up and it's gone from generation to generation and you watch that and you go, "Oh, wow, this is amazing." You get to have the kids on the board, you get to have the grandkids think about giving uh, obviously not everyone's in that position in their life. I mean, uh, some people are making enough to take care of their family. This yeah, is great, but um And some people go, hey, charity's a waste of money. I'll give it to them and I'll just waste it. And I want to go dig wells in Africa or whatever they want to, whatever you want to do, you should do. (laughs) That's what I, you know, so my thing in that sense is, do you want your name on a building? Do you want to give it uh, overseas? Do you want to, what do you want to do? Can you afford to do it? And how's it
1: going to ripple through the rest of your planning? I mean, it, it becomes like, Budgeting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but if I've said, like, I want to give, I don't really want to go to Africa and dig wells, but I do want to give. Yeah. Is it, is it a, is, does your firm kind of give yeah, me, like, yeah. here's your allocation every year that you should think about giving? And, and you have, tr- you know, you
0: can do charitable giving trusts where you can give in line with an exit event. Or I mean, uh, Fidelity has a, a program where you could, can do a deferred giving thing where you basically, you sell your company for $20 million. You don't want to give 500 a year. You want to give $6 million this year. That's going to fund your giving for your lifetime. Yep. And so there's a lot of planning around giving. So that that's a big thing that I talk to people about, especially when they're older. So yeah. What, <laughs> what do you want to give? How do you want to give? Who do you want to give it to? And uh, I mean, yeah, I have a guy right now who's giving to the university that he worked at and he, it, I mean, the big thing is give your, um, RMDs, you know, he's sending your RMDs straight to What's an RMD, the, uh, required minimum distribution okay. when you're 70 and a half and all those IRAs you saved up, they, they start making you take it out. Yep. You can give it straight to a charitable organization without having to recognize the income and then take the deduction. It just goes straight out the door. Interesting. You know? Interesting. So yeah, that's a, something Yeah. So you go back to like getting a certified financial planner certificate and you're covering asset protection, uh, taxes, uh, investments, you know, uh, estate planning, you're you're covering all uh, budgeting and and all of these big buckets. And that's really kind of what I wanted to do with my clients is, is serve as just kind of a, you know,
1: yeah, the fractional family office. I idea. love how you said it that way. I've not, yeah. it, are there a lot of those or are you kind of unique to this like perspective? It, it's a more
0: and more kind of, uh, it's a trend that's picking up in the sense
1: of <laughs>
0: fee only planner kind of, uh, the like one of the bigger ones that's doing a really good job is creative planning. Kay. Have you heard of them no. or uh, like Peter Malouk uh, runs that and they are, Investment advisors they have in house lawyers in house CPAs, and, and they're growing um pretty big while they're while they're doing all that and they're they're growing in offices in a bunch of cities but yeah i mean the the industry is trending towards fee only towards fiduciary advice toward um kind of serving their clients not by selling products but by trying to provide solutions and yeah. you know my Obviously, I'm very indexed in uh, tax and tax planning, but uh, that's a great place to be indexed because it's very expensive, (laughs) frankly. (laughs) Uh, You know, I mean, your taxes when you have uh, uh, put together an assembled wealth like that can be very, very costly. Yeah. But then, uh, and where I would be less indexed in investments, I just go, uh, I say index, like I'd go, hey... Why don't you go index? And if you want to own some Bitcoin, own some Bitcoin. And if you want to own a bunch of real estate,
1: own some real estate. And let's... Are they calling you like every time they have like a spare, call it million bucks and being like, hey, Mitchell, buddy down the street just sent me a real estate deal. Should I do it? Do they need like your not permission, but do they kind of run that by you or are they... Ideally,
0: I mean, uh, you know, I'm not the money police, but that's where I I try to build... um, Engagements through like a monthly retainer structure, and I always tell people like I want you to call me. I I had a guy a few years ago who called me, you know, in April, and he goes, "Hey, we need to do my taxes. I I sold my business." I was like, "Wait, you you sold your business?" And he's (laughs) like, "Yeah." And I was like, "Am I your accountant? Like, why why would you sell your business and not call your accountant?" (laughs) Like, um, okay, (laughs) you know, and and it was all it, it just was not the way I would have. advised him to do it. It was was fine. It was done. But you know, that's where I I always tell people, I'm like, I do not want to have you call me in April and tell me to file your extension and then drop off a bunch of crap in middle of July and me flip it back to you in August and we file. And then I never hear from you again until April. That's kind of not, that's just not the advice I want to give yeah so that's where I try uh, yeah I try to encourage people and and I try to build a, a client base and a, and a structure where I have availability to be there to answer those questions and it, even more and more I'm trying to build systems where <laughs> you know we take clients in at a higher level and we do more for them so that the more we do it kind of we we have a Closer
1: view into the data. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Do you have software or something that kind of is it proprietary or something you subscribe uh, to? That's or? what
0: we're uh, we're actually building right now. A proprietary software that's like a dashboard that takes your personal balance sheet and your personal investments and your business balance sheet and and like our little secret sauce of a tax projection and puts it all and all into one dashboard. And we're it. we're early into that. Yeah. very early. But uh, but um. That's my vision, you know, is, is that if we could just get all that onto one screen and update it on a quarterly basis, we'd be having such a different conversation than
1: if we talked every 15 months or 12 months or so. All right. We're going to pivot just a little and kind of get into like one-off questions on certain things. Our favorite friend, uh, Nick asked, um, Nick who? Nick Huber. Oh, (laughs) Nick who? Hi, Nick. Mike. Mike Jones. Why do most CPAs act like they work for the IRS instead of working for their client? Yeah. You know, it's
0: a tough job. (laughs) I'll tell you that. And I mean, and it's been a tough few years and it's been, you know, deadlines getting extended and rules changing and uh, PPP and this and that. And first of all, as an aside, Nick is the guy who like brought me into Twitter in October and, and shined a light on me and like, has really given me a lot and I'm grateful. So thank you, Nick. Um, and, um, it, and it's enabled me to, you know, I started getting people reaching out to me and people calling me. And frankly, I'm like, over oversubscribed. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm trying to build out a system right now to catch and serve and deliver the promise that I'm giving to people, and trying to, yeah, you know, do good work for all these people. And, uh, but, yeah, it, it's a hard job, and and it's a if you don't intentionally build your business and think about it and intentionally charge the fees required to do the work that you need to do you, I, you just get drowned, you yeah. know, and there, so that's the, um, <laughs> that, that's the nicest thing you could, that's the most, uh, charitable
1: kind of description that I, I would answer that question. And then, cause so, at the end of the day, is it your problem or is it the client's problem? If a return is like, oh, we're going to audit this. So when I think of a CPA kind of being on the IRS side, it's not more that they're on the IRS side. It's that they're protecting their client from the IRS and they know what the IRS could come after them for.
0: Yeah, uh, hopefully, uh, you know, uh, yeah, uh, ultimately, (laughs) you know, ultimately, yeah, it's my job, uh, you know, and I'm I'm aggressive in the sense that I want people to use the tax code to their advantage and take deductions that rightfully belong to them and take loopholes or you know or all of these kind of strategies that allow you to pay the tax that you rightfully owe if you understand the rules. I mean that's how I would say it. A lot of people just want to either get it done quick or just hate their clients or you know whatever it is where or just don't understand ultimately your tax is a business decision and you take risk in your business, and you measure risk all day long and why would you not do that with your taxes and in the sense of hey how much is it worth spending money to develop plans and develop procedures and capture income or capture data to be able to file the best tax return that I can possibly file on my behalf to save the most money I can and some cpas just don't see it that way yeah. <laughs> you know So I've seen CPAs who hate their clients because their clients make more money than they do. Or, you know, I I mean, and if that's your CPA, that that
1: should, you know, you should probably find a new CPA. That's kind of an interesting thought. You get to sit there and watch like, not, the question isn't about envy, but you get to sit there and watch people with, I would assume, hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. What is it like to be involved in that so intimately? It's that's a unique uh, position that you're put in. Does yeah. It, do you ever do you ever wake up days like God?
0: Damn, well, this so, motivates me. Yeah. know it's very. Mo- Sometimes I go, I, I'm in the wrong business because <laughs> you know because <laughs> this guy, you know, because people will call you and you'll go, Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's your business. <laughs> like, oh, I like I need to do that. I need, cause yeah. if I spend all my time doing that, uh, it'd be more profit <laughs> lucrative at least. But, um, it's really exciting yeah, in, in the sense of, yeah, I mean, I was 22, 23, 24, and you sit down with some guy who is making $5 million a year and you just go, I make $50,000 a year and you make <laughs> 5 million a year. Like what do you, and I, I mean, I have a ego and I, think I'm smart and I go, why are you, why are you so smart that you get to do this? And, and I don't. And the answer is, uh,
1: I don't know. Okay. <laughs> you know, you, you got, that's, that's my problem for sure. <laughs> I got to figure that one out. So if you're selling your business is, is, uh, is there any kind of best practices that you should do like a year, two, three out to kind of get ready to sell? You know, there's a lot of people on Twitter who are
0: uh, very, qualified to talk about. I've learned a lot about this. Uh, I'll give a shout out and a plug to uh, Girdley and Mills and Bill on Acquisitions Anonymous. I mean, they go walk through deals and just talk about deals. And, you know, ultimately, it's a a marketing exercise the same way that anything else is where the best thing you can do is have clarity and how you show your numbers cuz people are going to judge your business based on your history uh, they're going to give you some percentage of revenue or some percentage of ebitda or some percentage of uh, you know whatever the seller takes home and, and your job is to show them what you're taking home what your revenue is what your ebitda is and and show them in the most concrete way people try to save money on taxes and give every one of their grandkids the gas card and buy cars for everyone in the family. And <laughs> it, it, and they're trying to sell their business in three years. And then they have to go, well, it shows I made a million dollars, but I really made $3 million because of all of these ad backs. And I mean, $1 could be $7 or $10 yeah. or $19. So, it, you know, you're trying to save 30 cents on taxes or 40 cents or 50 cents or 60 cents on taxes. And you just cost yourself $19. So yep. that that's the biggest, most answers around this are like, build a system and begin with the end in mind of like, if I take that deduction today, what's the net present value of that deduction?
1: Well, 40 cents today could cost me $19 in three years. But <laughs> do most buyers then go like you show proof that the kids yeah. were on the gas cards, they'll let you add it back and give you value for it. It depends, yeah.
0: you know, or you've done enough deals to yeah, know yeah. that. But yeah, you could do like a loan out corp. That's one thing I tell people to do is just go, but then What's you a have a loan the, out corp. So like y- you set up a separate management company where
1: you, you, you can't throw big words uh, out like that yeah, yeah, and yeah, me not ask you what they are. Well, thank
0: you. No, no. Like the loan out corp. You could go set up a separate entity that employed the owners of the company or was a management company that paid a management fee or a, a royalty or some kind of ongoing revenue to this company that then is the cookie jar for the owners that they can go spend all their money. But then it becomes this IRS honeypot where it's just like, (laughs) you know, some top line revenue full of a bunch of bullcrap expenses. And and then you, you kind of, you don't really want to like shine a light or, or compartmentalize all the most gray area expenses of (laughs) an entire business into one company. But, you know, what's the, again, it goes back to risk reward of, so that thing gets audited, all the expenses get added back. You pay the tax, you pay the IRS, but you made your sale transaction very
1: simple and you earned a lot more. So basically you have a business, you let it operate as such, one of its vendors that it pays is this loan out corp and then you go onto your ad back and you just go hey that $10,000 that i month, spend to
0: the loan out corp it, it that's that, it, that will go away day one here's the contract you can rip it up or <laughs> <Interesting>. what <laughs> you know but it's all about compartmentalization and about clean books and clean records and having some kind of system where you can show that all people are buying is essentially cash flow. Cash flow, And so if you can show them the clearest kind of uh, picture of what their cash flow is going to be when they take over that company, then they're going to believe you, you know, the more muddy it is, the bigger of a discount you're going to get because the more uncertainty of cash flow. Unless it's just an awesome business, and they go, "Oh, this guy's incompetent," and I'm going to triple it, and then you may get more. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. So again, it's deal by deal, everything, deal by deal. Everything
1: in taxes, it depends. <laughs> everything in businesses, it Do depends. Do they need audited financials a couple of years in advance? Is that like a? Everybody always says, like, if you're going to sell, start getting your financials audited the the two or three years before you go to sell. Is that as big of a deal? Yeah, certainly, it becomes a big deal. The bigger At the an
0: institutional is. level, yeah. If you're going to go sell your deal to BlackRock, it, you probably need audited financials. If you're going to send your sell your deal to sweaty have, startup, it's a sweaty. Yeah, how many uh, how many uh, audited financials? Uh, you know, if Nick saw audited financials on a storage deal, he would <laughs> run away. <laughs> so you know, it depends who your buyer is. Yeah, um, he wants papers. He wants he wants a, a, a Rolodex and a fax machine, right? What is QSBS? So that's qualified small business stock. Uh, Section 1202, it's um, basically uh, you organize your company as a C-corp. And the founding issued shares, if you hold them for a certain period of time, you get to sell them and you get to get a large tax exclusion on the sale of those shares. So you know, most businesses would either be started as a partnership if you have partners or, you know, if it's just my business is an S corp. I have a accounting financial advisory kind of consulting business that that's a pretty simple business. I'm the owner of it. The proceeds of the business go to me. Well, people who raise money and generally think that they're going to sell the business for much more than they raise. And it's not an asset-heavy business. There's not going to be a bunch of depreciation. There's not going to be a bunch of tax write-offs along the way. will organize their business as a C-corporation or as a LLC and, and elect to be taxed as a C-corporation. And it gives people the opportunity, this kind of provision in the tax code, to go sell their business that they held for... I think it's 5 years on uh, um as uh it, you basically get to
1: exclude the gains from the sale and you, you just get it's so like a real estate company would never do that because they're so asset heavy I, you would do it for the um for your new media company yeah yeah yeah, yeah I mean that's it
0: that's it so uh, you know yeah it's it's really software uh, or a uh, product company you know something that uh, if you were doing an Amazon FBA business and you were just going to buy and sell inventory, it, you could do that. Uh, it, you know, you just have to hold it long enough and you have to kind of, that's uh, that's one of those where it's like, if you're really in that, you got to go get professional advice because you got to do it right. And you got to stay very, very rigorous and following
1: the procedures and meeting the timelines and meeting the Because deadlines. of what you said about the beginning and raising that capital kind of early on, Is it kind of, um, you can't really like if you're a 10-year-old business kind of transfer into a C Corp, like you're kind of too far down the road at that point? You could,
0: so long as you're willing to cut. If you set up a new C Corp, push your stuff into it, and then meet the holding requirements and and grow the business, you know? Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Certainly. How does the SPAC work? (laughs) you know, uh, I may be the wrong guy to ask, Uh, but I, I, it's a special purpose acquisition corporation. It's a company that's to my understanding, essentially raising a blank check or raising money to go acquire either a particular company or companies inside of a certain industry or companies inside of a certain product type. It's almost like a fund or like a,
1: a mutual fund, but it's a public corporation. Besides the ability, though, to go public, take a private company public, is there any tax advantages or anything that kind of gets into your level where it's strategic to go through a SPAC vehicle?
0: I mean... I think the big thing is, uh, and uh, this is like not my expertise, yeah, but uh, so I'll enough. just pontificate. But, you know, I, I think the big thing is you get to utilize, you have a very liquid market. You get to raise some capital. You get, you want to talk about kind of like leveraged equity. It, you know, it, there can be major benefits to the founders and owners and and the people who are organizing it. And yeah, you. it's a, interesting way to raise a bunch of money to go buy companies that are illiquid. I mean, think about it. a lot of public companies trade at 25, 30 X and a lot of private companies trade at four X. So if you can, you know, grow and build and institutionalize and scale private companies
1: and then bring them into the public markets, uh, there's a killing to be made. Yep. Do you have a story or two that comes to mind? Um, What are some egregious and outlandish ways you've seen people avoid taxes? Is there a fun story or anything that comes to mind?
0: They were talking about the flamingo farm, right? Or (laughs) no, uh, the ostrich uh, ostrich, in the backyard. The ostrich in the backyard. Literally, I worked (laughs) with a guy And one of my (laughs) original jobs who had an avocado tree in his backyard and called it a farm and (laughs) like just, I guess, knew he wouldn't get caught and didn't care um, and just thought it was funny. You see some crazy stuff, but you see it on the the client kind of driving and driving and driving. And then you see it on the accountant side of there's accountants who take risks for their clients that their clients don't understand yeah. which is mind boggling to me or there's accountants <laughs> who are just incompetent who are you get it and you get the return for i got a client in and i was like have your old cpa do this year we're late in the year we don't have time to do this and then i i looked at the return and it was literally like out of balance and i was like okay if we we need to <laughs> we need to do this <laughs> i think we need to like <laughs> fix this. You, you can't work with this guy anymore.
1: Yeah. yeah. But well, then maybe not even outlandish, but is there like a totally bulletproof way that most people don't think about saving taxes for the average guy?
0: Yeah. I, I think the best thing to do if it, like if you and your wife or spouse or, uh, you know, if you're just kind of normal, have normal jobs, the, the best thing you can do is develop some side revenue stream yeah. and take all of these expenses that already exist in your life, your cell phone bill that your company's not reimbursing, your car that you pay for, you're, you're paying for all of those post-tax. It, you know, you make a dollar, you pay 50 cents, and then you take that remaining 50 cents and pay your cell phone bill. Go develop some stream of income or some kind of management revenue or something and be able to take that cell phone bill And bring it to pre-tax because you you need a cell phone bill to do most. (laughs) You need a cell phone to do most jobs, so that that's like the the first thing I tell people. And then, I mean, yeah, the bigger thing, you know, then it becomes company structure and uh, do I have an S corp or do I have an LLC? And getting into if you own your own company, how can you set up cash balance pension plans and you know uh, all kinds of What's a cash balance
1: pension plan?
0: Uh, so uh, it's a, like they have defined contribution, which would be like a 401k or an IRA, and then they have defined benefit, which is what our grandparents had, these pension plans where you fund it with enough money that you're gonna get a $6,200 a month check when you're 74. Yeah. Well, if you own your own business, Whether you have employees or don't have employees, you can set up a pension plan. And in order to, if you're 41 and you want to have $6,300 a month when you're 65, it's going to take a lot of money to, uh, generate that stream of revenue in perpetuity. And so you can put like $400,000 into it to try to, um, get there, to get there. And if you have no employees and you're just on your own, you're the beneficiary of that entire thing. Yeah. yeah. Don't do this in real estate, by the way, because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you, you know, I don't know any, uh, do this if you're like an endodontist who just makes uh, $3 million a year and doesn't know what to do with your cash, you know, but, and that becomes nothing's one size fits all. Uh, so going back to kind of what are the bulletproof ways, it, you know, it's just kind of, Going through the checklist and going through the planning and going, hey, what fit the, am I taking every deduction that I could deduct and deducting it? Yeah. Am I structured properly? Am I saving the way I want for retirement to the extent that the code allows me? Are my is my accumulated earnings that I've paid tax on being invested in the most efficient way? And uh, I mean, talk about. Cost segregation and bonus depreciation, and and you know, uh, passive losses versus active real estate. You know, uh, are, are is there some other way that you can go take your money and generate cash flow while using leverage and and getting huge deductions along the way while you're in your kind of high earning
1: periods? That's a big one too. Cost seg and bonus depreciation. Yep, you you hit the magic words on of the Of course. What are they? And then let's break it out to like multifamily versus commercial, like where the benefits lie in in asset classes.
0: The benefits lie for generally people who either have passive income in another area of their life. And don't confuse portfolio income with passive income. Dividends and capital gains and stock sales and interest is portfolio income. Passive income is income you earn from passive investments. So, as people accumulate wealth, their passive income becomes inevitable. But when you're making your first investment into something, it generally, you don't have lots of passive income. So uh, really this is the most useful for people who are real estate pros or have passive income in their life. But um, yeah, so the model is you leverage your equity with debt. So you take $500,000 and you buy a $2 million property, right? right? And you go buy an apartment building Mm -hmm. and you can take, there's a portion of that apartment building, which is land. And there's a a portion of that apartment building, which is land improvement. And then there's a, a portion of that, which is the actual building. Yep. And you can take all of the, Property and break it into its source components. And, and all of the source components have different asset kind of life classes <laughs> or like uh, asset lives. So there's five year property, seven year property, 15 year property, 27, 39 on uh, multifamily versus con- commercial. And you can take all the five year, seven year, and 15 year property and bonus depreciate it. You can take it all in the first year that you place it into service and just deduct it, r- write it off. So you take a guy like Wes Mabry and uh, it, it, he actually is doing one for us. Oh right yeah. Now. Yeah. It, so you uh, take him and he'll come in and he's a, uh, you know, an engineer who will look at your building and take pictures of your building and break it into its component pieces and then give you a report of, what did you buy that was 15 year property which is the site the site improvements what did you buy that was 5 year property which is microwaves dishwashers stoves uh, what did you buy that was 39 year property which is the the walls and the foundation and the roof and the you know yeah. and so you break it up into those component pieces and what it results in is you find that about 30 or 20 30 40 15% of this thing is able to be written off in the first year which you know in this 2 million dollar example at 25% you basically took your 500,000 put it into the deal and levered it up and then you get to take that 500,000 and deduct it in the first year cuz your you know 25% equity became your 25%
1: of what was able to be cost segged in the first year so and if you're in real estate private equity so you have LPs and GPs sure and you do it, and let's just say you have 15 partners in a deal, that depreciation flows through to the LPs yes. unless otherwise negotiated in the operating agreement yes. ahead of time.
0: Yeah. And so uh, y- there's different ways to, uh, based on who can have the most benefit from the depreciation. I, I mean, if you're dealing with an institution or, or somebody who doesn't pay tax or somebody who, uh, is a passive real estate investor, they're going to realize no benefit of that immediate hit of depreciation. So part of the terms on the outset of the deal could be that you write a more complex agreement that allows the general partner or certain partners to uh, pull in a lot of that bonus depreciation for themselves and, and derive the benefit during the life of the deal. I mean, and that goes to like, any partnership can be structured any way where anyone. You, I could give Chris all the losses, I take all the prop profits, and Johnny takes all the cash, <laughs> and then the and then the tax credit goes to uh, you know Dan. Yeah. So I, I mean, that's how tax credit deals, and um, it, you know where uh, you know there's certain deals where you go improve a building in the city or the state or the government gives you some kind of historic tax credit or some kind of charitable contribution or some kind of a special tax preference and then they'll actually take those credits and syndicate them mm-hmm. meaning that they you can go take those credits out of the partnership and sell them to other people who just want the credit or just need the credit. I mean, that's a way to take $20 and buy $100 of charitable contribution, you know, and and so those, it it gets, it goes all the way into the
1: way esoteric, but. So on the $2 million example, Mm -hmm. you put down 500 grand, you get a loan for a million and a half, you bonus depreciate. Both bonus depreciate and cost seg are basically the same thing. Well, the, the cost seg is the act of getting to a bonus. The, depreciation. The, the, yeah,
0: The cost segregation is kind of this report or this uh, engineering exercise in order to break a building and a land site into its component parts so that you can bonus depreciate the, the cl- asset classes available so that you can
1: get a big old deduction. And you you get the $500,000 deduction, so your first $500,000 in income that year is basically now tax-free. Yes. And so if you're somebody that's buying lots of properties and you're just getting $500,000 after, now... And 500,
0: you're using leverage.
1: And you're using leverage. So 500... Because yeah. you're... Yes. And you're getting interest deduction, blah, blah, blah. So you get five... You do five deals that year you might have two million, two and a half million million of write-offs, paper write-offs, not actual losses. Now, when you go to sell it, it all gets captured back, correct? Yes. So,
0: uh, you you know, it's
1: like- You meet your maker at some point. It's
0: Newton's law of tax. Yeah, what goes up must come down. And so, um, yeah, when you, you basically have destroyed your capital account where your capital account was half a million dollars because that was your equity to go buy the thing. You still have capital because of the, either recourse debt or qualified non-recourse debt. You're not going to go into kind of a negative basis, but you will have recapture when you go sell the property. But if you hold the property for, like you cost seg it when you buy it, you'll also cost seg it when you sell it. So you will do kind of a sale price allocation where you go, hey man, that refrigerator that was $1,000, And five-year property. Well, it's been ten years, and I don't even have that refrigerator anymore. Or that refrigerator is worth a hundred dollars, and so, uh, or the land has grown and grown and grown in value. Where you you know, at the outset of this deal, we we applied five hundred thousand dollars to the land value. It's now worth one point five, and you know, (laughs) and we sold the property for two point five. So the recapture available would be a million, and not two million and then these short live assets uh, deteriorate in value very, very quickly. So it, the the recapture shouldn't sting that bad. And the, the recapture is 25%. And, you know, the it's rest,
1: 25% of what? Uh, it, it's a 25% tax rate. Okay. So do that quick math. So you, you got the $500,000 write down mm-hmm. and then let's just say five years later, you sell it at 2 million just to yep. make it simple what are you what do you owe if you sell it for 2 million you're going to owe 25% on that uh, let's
0: let's just say everything you uh, there was no change in value yeah uh, or but that's not even fair to say so the 500 that you wrote down is now worth 250 because all the refrigerators are worth half uh, you know on a asset by asset by asset level everything that it has decreased in value by half and, right. and so you're going to pay 25% on the 250 and then you're going to pay capital gains on the rest of the stack. Got it. You know? Got it. So it's a better deal. It's not just, oh, you're just going to pay it back at the end of the, it's worth doing, especially
1: uh, depending on the deal size. You know? Somebody asked parking areas, concrete on commercial property can add a large amount of bonus depreciation. Detailed through a cost seg. What other pieces of real property are often overlooked for bonus depreciation?
0: Yeah. And that goes to that, like, kind of site value. Uh, one cool thing I've seen is like people who are redeveloping, where you can buy something and attribute the value of the stuff that you're about to just tear apart and rip out. And the day you rip it out, you've impaired that property. And you can write that to zero. So if you're going to buy a warehouse and just rip it down to the frame, there was some value in all the kind of stuff that was in that warehouse before you tore it all out and threw it in a dumpster. Yeah, that's a big uh, write-off opportunity. And then you go and redevelop it, and then you bonus your redevelopment. So there's a there's ways to come in and kind of creatively. I, I would say it depends and yeah. hire an expert. I mean, th- this, these are things where you're dealing with other people's money and you're, you know, going in and, and trying to do best by your LPs. Don't give your LPs tax advice. Don't, yeah. <laughs> don't DIY this one, Yeah, go call, uh, call our buddy Wes and, and you know, just
1: uh, do it the right way, you know? Most real estate guys, Uh, I'm not saying like you, you learn the tax code along the way, but the truth is we're not tax experts. Sure. And then like, as we talk about these things, I I just think of over 16 years of doing projects. There's just so many things I never did. Yeah. 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 I've just missed all this is the best practice, especially for someone that's doing this for a living. Sure. Like if I were to buy a deal and you were my, uh, CPA, you, you you're my guy is the best practice just to call you after every deal and go, here's what we bought and then just kind of get the game plan of like, here's what you should think about doing or who else, who do I call? Yeah, I mean, uh, that's, yeah. Assuming you a, don't have like a CFO in-house that's just a wizard at all this stuff.
0: Yeah, you call your, uh, find a CPA who picks up your calls and who adds value every time you call them and then call them as much as you, as they'll, <laughs> you know, yeah. as as much as you can. Yeah. And then, uh yeah. Uh, Pay them for the value. And, yep. and life's good. I mean, that really is you'll do that for the first 7 deals and then every time you're going to kind of like catch something or there's going to be a new layer or you know, I I'm learning while you're learning. So, yeah, yeah. you know, we we'll come on to stuff together and um you know, but it, that's how you build that system and it, it's really good to find a CPA who can be that kind of trusted advisor and who you can really Work with side by side in that kind of way. Because, yeah, I mean, we have, I have several clients who, yeah, they essentially call me. They don't, they're not doing 50 deals a year. They're doing three or four deals a year and they're just calling me every time they do a deal. And we're always doing something, you know?
1: So, all right. Three more questions. Sure. How to most efficiently structure a holding company with both operating and uh, real estate investments. I sort of talked about it earlier. I mean, that's where you
0: you have the opco and you have each of the kind of sub entities entities and every entity probably has a different capital stack and a different debt stack and you know, so different people do it different ways. Some people set up a separate general partner for each project. Some people have one general partner that does 10 projects and then some people have the general partners, the management entity some people have a separate management entity I, I as you scale, you start adding entities to try to add asset protection along the way I mean really, but when you're doing your first deal, it doesn't make sense to have twelve entities. It just kind of yeah. <laughs> you know and you see that and you go, man you If you're going to do a hundred deals in the next three years, do it. If you're going to do three deals a year, it's like having a a pet or you're just kind of babysitting all these entities. So again, the answer is it depends, but you always, as the owner want some kind of entity that can capture some kind of fee income where you can take the expenses that exist in your life that you don't. That are bona fide business expenses. It's not your kids' haircuts and your groceries. You know, it's it's stuff that you do that has a business application, but you don't want to be accountable to your partners right. or your investors on. And and so, structure your life where there's some stream of revenue that allows you to go have fun on your own and, and spend after <laughs> pre tax dollars on the stuff
1: that you know it, that. You get to do as a business owner. Yeah, that's my big piece of advice around that. And we talked about it earlier. And maybe there's just a quick answer. Maybe it's it depends. How to best structure family businesses that are going to transition from one generation to the other, so that it actually is going to stay in the family. And yeah, and uh,
0: it, it depends. depends. Yeah. But uh, you know, uh, you see, especially once there's wealth, that that the parents generally own the voting stock and the kids own non-voting stock. And as the kids work more or get older or hit benchmarks or stay off drugs or whatever, (laughs) you know, they get more and more stock. You know, again, as the company becomes more and more and more and more valuable, it becomes more and more expensive to gift the stock to your kids. So it's always about, how can I retain control while pushing this down a generation? And that's hard to do because that's exactly what the code doesn't want. So you have to think of, you know, like if you just said, hey, here's a family limited partnership and I own the first tranche of shares. It, well, you asked for the short answer, but I'm, I'm yeah, giving you
1: the long one. That's good. So
0: I own the A class and my kids own the B class and they have of the equity and I have 1% of the equity and I have all the voting and I have all the profit and loss. When I die and the IRS looks at that, they're going to go, well, where's all the cash flow going and where's all the control? What is the value of this 99%? Well, it's nothing. What's the value of the 1%? Well, it's everything. So you need to structure it in a way that and some people just go, hey, man, I don't want my kids to have my company. And when I die, I'm dead and they can deal with it then. And like, that's fair, I guess. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but it's suboptimal, but it's fair. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so like, uh, I mean, that, that, that's one side. And then the other side is, oh, I'm just going to give my kids the whole thing today yeah. to save taxes. And they both have drawbacks. And where you want to do is creatively structure the middle ground to meet your goals optimize your tax and, and just pass through
1: generational wealth and the best way you can do it. So it depends. Yeah. What is the, like the coolest way that you've seen a family set rules for grandkids and kids to actually earn? Like, is there a cool story of like, You know, some it's like you have to go to college, you have to get an MBA, you have to go work for another company for five years. Like, is there anything that comes to mind that's like, this was a really interesting way to pass wealth while keeping, you know, people intact and motivated? And
0: yeah, uh, well, like I, I told you about that family who has this private foundation and has the, you know. And there's a bunch of wealth in that family, but I mean that to me, I was like tearing up when I told you about it. I mean, it's just such a great way to. They run it almost like, uh, you know, I, I I belong to a steering committee of a of a museum in Houston, and I mean it's similar in that they have these tiers of based on the family lineage, groups of people who meet in different ways and are empowered to make choices and get this kind of like uh, wider and wider aperture of their family's wealth as they get older and of what their desire is to do with with their family's wealth. I mean, that that
1: to me is just a really cool idea. I mean, does it, everybody get to participate or are you kind of selected based on how you're doing in life? You know, I, I don't, I don't know. I, 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 sh- I should like interview them and yeah. figure out
0: exactly what they're doing around that. Send them up here. I'll interview. Yeah. Them. Yeah. I'll, I'll send them to the, the, the fort. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, so there's a few people who tell stories on, on Twitter about having their kids work and having their kids kind of supporting their kids and developing some type of business that allows them to work and really make mo- uh, uh kevin uh camp four talks about his daughter doing tie-dye masks and and shirts and stuff and you're just like man if somebody uh, when when i was 14 taught me a way to make 50 dollars an hour uh, that would have Blown my mind. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And for better or worse, but I mean, it, you know, that is a, a really, really powerful thing to teach your kids yeah. how to make $50 an hour when you're 14. Yeah. Holy
1: smokes. That's awesome.
0: And, I mean, Nick talks a lot about that, about cutting lawns, and his dad got him a lawnmower and would drive him around in the truck. And I mean, like, what better thing can you really do for like a 13 year old kid than teach him to work and not work futilely but make a lot of money working
1: relative to anything they could do at the mall you know i, <laughs> I love mean it. yeah all right so you kind of talked earlier and and a lot of it's from twitter but a lot of it's just you know you've been doing this since 2014 you're obviously super knowledgeable on this um on these topics that y- your client demand is outpacing your ability to give everybody the same amount of value sure like, how are you thinking about growing your business going forward? Is it just telling people no? Is it scaling? Like, where's your head at?
0: Yeah, that's something that I think about and kind of wrestle with. And I I mean, uh, I'll blow smoke for you, Chris. I I admire you so much and kind of how you're growing a company. And I've said out loud over and over and over, I don't want to have 20 people working for me. I just, and, and the more I say it, uh, you know uh, every time you say it a new person yeah, joins a new the company. person shows up and it, it you know it it's building culture and learning how to manage and and obviously i I have ideas, I have ways I like to do things that it, it's really exciting that they're resonating with people. and, yeah, how do I build that to scale? and so I, I mean, I got on Twitter in October, man, and it's, it's been life-changing and it's really exciting. And I met so many interesting people that, uh, that like you, that we have people in common and people in orbit, Roy Sweeney, Roy Sweeney. Hi, Roy. Hi hey, Roy. Yeah. And, and I mean, so, you know, it's really been fun, but yeah, it's presented this challenge of like, how do we deal with the influx? I mean, I've taken hundred client meetings <laughs> yeah or new potential new client meetings in the past five months or or more which yeah and I could what would Nick tell you to do yeah and, and raise your price raise your prices. yeah and so I've, I've done some of that and uh yeah, I'm also you know following my my spiritual advisor Nick Huber's uh, path in that I, I'm going to build out some type of informational product that even walks through these levels of like, at, at the outset, there's just people who I don't have the capacity to serve any longer. And I have ideas and I have helpful solutions about how they can set their life up. And I'm going to build some kind of course or product or something that just shows you soup to nuts. Hey, you have a, a, a $50,000 side hustle. This is what to do. And here's some tax saving strategies and here's some, uh, financial planning and financial, uh, systems that, that I've been using forever in terms of just kind of setting up my financial life. And I mean, like I, I had this experience, I, I posted a thread before the year end about, uh, QBI optimization and someone just comments and says, Hey, that saved me $50,000. And you're like, Oh, wow. It, the more people I can tell about these cool ideas, the more people will be spurred to call their accountant and implement these ideas. And uh,
1: there's a tremendous R- ROI for someone like that to read a free tweet. <laughs> and as a guy that's sitting on the sidelines, just sure. looking in, and let's be honest, accounting and, and, and certified financial, at, at the outset, it's not the most exciting thing in the world. Sure. But what I would say is, one, you've found a way to make it cool. We live in a generation where people affiliate with their brands and you are, you have 15,000 followers on Twitter, which I want to get into a little bit in a second. And it's not just about the numbers and the vanity metrics, but a guy that's an accountant in Houston, Texas now has 15,000 followers talking mainly about stuff that in prior generations, nobody like would have ever paid attention to. I think you have an enormous opportunity to be the voice of Everything we talked about today for this generation that's coming up.
0: Yeah, I mean it's really, uh, again, I've kind of been trying, scrambling to build out the infrastructure, to build out the systems, to be able to handle the influx. And yeah, I don't know if I need a entirely, if I just need to scale to meet the demand or if I need an entirely new paradigm, or I I think informational product is the only way that I can really scale. scale my message
1: without... I just can't be everybody's yeah. accountant.
0: You know, there's and only even, so many hours. In and even a
1: hundred client meetings, yeah, it's great. But that's two hundred hours. Yeah, that's it's, two weeks. That's two. That's let's see, forty hours. Well, you of can work do week, them in
0: thirty minutes now
1: on, yeah, on Zoom. Yeah. It's
0: exciting, but yeah, it, that's it, five work weeks. It, it, it's a lot, and it, you know, uh, just even the 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 Zoom thing is great and wonderful, but it's also you know tiring. Uh, I've found that uh, I'll do. Three or four Zoom meetings, and uh, I like have to go lay down. So, you know, (laughs) so uh, no, it's really been, uh, you know, I I shared a few weeks ago. uh, Noah Kagan wrote this book about kind of uh, a bunch of wild tax strategies. And I mean, Noah is not, Noah runs a, it runs AppSumo, which is a software kind of sales engine. And he became so, obsessed and annoyed with the product out there. And he has an accountant that he spent hours and hours building this informational product that is frankly pretty good, uh, really good. And I mean, it's a huge problem. That's what I, and I've had a lot of people reach out to me on Twitter and I've had, uh, you know, I, I didn't realize the, that just people aren't thinking and talking about these things the way I am and we are and small business Twitter is. And and it's really exciting, frankly, that, you know, like, uh, yeah, just uh, people are like, hey, I talked to three or four, I I mean, I'm not like trying to brag on myself, but like, yeah, uh, people will say, I talked to three or four accounts and they just don't get it. And you, you, our buddy, Kevin, camp four said, an accountant who gets it. And that's, that's just what it is. And, and so, yeah, I, I'm excited to kind of share that message and share the kind of brass tacks about how you put your life together
1: on your own. And, 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 you know, we've talked about Twitter on multiple episodes. We're we're talking about it. And, you know, I think a lot of people might just be like, well, these are all Chris's crazy friends that live in this little corner of the world. But what I would just say is when we say it's changed our life, it's not this, cheesy way of saying something is like, one, you and I would not be sitting here right now if it wasn't for Twitter. No, Um, We've had some awesome conversations back and forth leading up to this. I've talked uh, on our podcast about um, over 400 investors this year. In 2020, we signed up from people we met off Twitter. You uh, um, filled that fund
0: yesterday or the day before in 90 minutes and one a couple of weeks before that quickly. And I I mean, you see the way... Yeah. I've had this fortunate kind of, first of all, like uh, I'll say it again, Nick has just like, did he, did he tell you like,
1: you need to, (laughs) yeah,
0: I'll tell you the story. So uh, yeah, my story about it, 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 you asked one time, like, how did y'all meet? So Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I met Nick, uh, he, he was running the sweaty startup, like subreddit. And I've never been an active Redditor, but somehow I fell on it. And I was like, this guy's smart. I just need to talk to this guy. And send him an email and he said, be on my podcast. And I was like, no, man, I don't, (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to do that. Uh, so it, uh, I I just said, you know, can I just pay you for a consult? And I I was his first like dollar of revenue out of that project. He later said, but, uh, and we talked for an hour and he's just a expert operator and that's not my kind of like highest area of expertise and i'm asking him questions just hiring firing scaling growing and he's you know got all this feedback and we had gone back and forth and back and forth and then one day he calls me and he goes hey i we have these accounting problems and so i became his accountant and so like last august i call him and i go hey nick uh there's more moving vans going out of new york than they can replace them with you need to get up to New York and start doing like white glove concierge moving service, you know, <laughs> like you yeah. are positioned to do that. And he's like, no, man, I'm I'm on Twitter now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> he goes, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm on Twitter. I have 7,000 followers. It's changed my life. I have more, you know, th- these people are such high quality that there's so many capital sources. There's so many people having these high level conversations. It would blow your mind. You got to get on Twitter. And I'm like, okay. uh, Like I'll call you after tax season, I guess, you know? And so then I I kind of like pull him up and I set up my account and I get on the fringe and then I'm kind of going into his comments and he like reposted one of my comments and it just, I had a thousand followers immediately. And then, uh, you know, and then I, he texts me and he goes, you're not posting anything. You're, you're, you're making me look foolish. You need to post. (laughs) So I start post you know yeah and i i want to do it good and i want to say the right thing and so i i put this long post together and i mean it's helped me clarify my thoughts it's helped me build an audience it's helped me meet people I, like you and i have 20 common connections on linkedin of all these people we know but yeah i never would have met you yeah you never would have met me and uh, you know
1: we we think alike. And, and the interesting part, I don't know exactly how to say it, but when you meet somebody that you connect with on Twitter, it's almost like an immediate, like we're boys. Yeah. Like it's not this slow buildup. It just kind of happens.
0: And you get to read so much of people's like inner, you get to read the way people think. And so then you get to have this conversation where you've already aligned or you already know Hey, this person thinks like me in this way. Doesn't think like me in that way. Thinks this, does this, knows these people, and you get to immediately go in and go, "Hey, you and I don't think alike on this. Well, let's talk about it." <laughs> or, yeah. "Hey, you and I think a, a lot alike on this. Let's talk about that." Or, or whatever you want to talk about, you yep. get, You just it. it it's really a odd concept that it just makes everybody a lot more accessible, which I, I turned away from for a long time, yep. and then you know, uh,
1: it, it's been very rewarding the more and more that I first sure. talk about. So, all right, let's just do some, uh, some personal questions so sure. that the people can get to know, uh, Mitchell a little bit better and then we'll go have some barbecue. Yeah. Do you have a childhood experience that you remember vividly that kind of shaped the direction that your life took? And, for example, you know i've I've asked that to somebody, my parents got a divorce, it changed my whole life. I'll never forget it, and then positive things, my dad introduced me to golf, and is there anything that as you think about your childhood, it's like had that not happened, I might not be here today. yeah, um, and it doesn't hmm. even have to be an instance. no, no, it I'm could just, be like a thing
0: you know like growing up um. I, you, I didn't play football all four years for, through high school, but uh, like playing football as a kid was huge for me. And just, uh, you know, being able to go out there and, uh, you know, practice and learn and build up my body and build up my like grit and <laughs> do really, really hard things. And, it, you know, I kind of went toward it and away from it and back to it. And uh, football was was pretty big for me as a kid and uh, like it, when i yeah when i was a kid my parents got a divorce and you know i didn't have like people telling me hey this is how you make fifty dollars an hour yeah. and, and so i kind of uh, figured out my way through you, mm-hmm. you know school and and a lot of that and uh, having coaches and having uh people take an interest in me was very Valuable.
1: Were
0: you That's good? I uh, no. I mean, I was fine. <laughs> yeah. What'd you play? What position? I, 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 I was like 40 pounds heavier and I played <laughs> offensive line. <laughs> nice. so I was slow. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, no, uh, but that just to me, it, it wasn't about being good. I was never that good. It was hard. Uh, it, I just remember it was tough and it was a, a grind and you were on the
1: team and, and you just had to do it. Yep. So, it, that was really valuable to me. Is there something that you believe that a lot of people around you don't believe? I believe that you can mostly
0: do anything you want to do, which some people believe that and some people don't. But I've had the fortune and uh, luck and wonder in life to like really achieve a lot of my goals. And it wasn't through somebody giving it to me, it was through just really grinding and spending the time and thinking about it. And uh, I mean, so yeah, I I believe that when you focus on things and, and really decide to do things and really commit to things that
1: you can do them. I love it. I'm with you on that. Uh, What's the best advice you've ever been given? To be careful about
0: who you marry. (laughs) That (laughs) has shaped my life more than, you know. So uh, awesome. Yeah. I don't know that uh Melanie will listen to this, but it, you know, <laughs> I, I won't even I won't tell her, I'll surprise her. But uh, you know, yeah, just like nothing has changed my life more than uh me, me and my wife got were dating in college early. I, I knew my wife in high school, we've been together for forever, and it's
1: been like uh she's your rock.
0: Yeah, the best thing that's ever happened to me. That's so, awesome,
1: dude. And y'all have kids? Two kids. Yeah. That's so awesome.
0: Yeah, so yeah, eight month old and a almost three year old. Are you so, done? I don't know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we'll do part two. Two, two when you boys. Make the yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I'll call in. Do you have a book that you love?
0: Uh, you know, uh, going back to that idea of like you can do anything. Uh, it think and grow rich is. Uh, I don't, have you ever read that? No. Uh, you should read it. it it's kind. Of, it's a odd book, but um, it's kind of like that. Dale Carnegie, like, uh, how to win friends it's written in 1930 by a guy who was looking at Andrew Carnegie and Rockefeller and all these kind of, uh, stalwarts of, of industry and kind of followed them and talked about how they built their lives. I, I read a book called Choose Yourself too. But which these are two like uh, really impactful books on me that are all just about mindset. But yeah. uh, Choose Yourself, it kind of made me like decide to lose my er, to leave my job. It, it was a book, a guy named James Altucher wrote it. And it was just about how it, if you want what you want in life, you have to uh, bet
1: on yourself and go get it. I love it, man. All right, one more. And then we're going to go get some barbecue. Okay, good. <laughs> What's the best way for people to reach you? Um, Twitter, Twitter
0: at at Baldridge CPA B A L D R I D G E CPA. Um, I have a mailing list that I, I'm I swear I'm gonna start mailing people all the time, <laughs> uh, and it, you know it DM me and or go to my website. But yeah, Twitter. Cool. Thanks so much, man, for coming up to Fort Worth uh, Man, today. thank you for having me. This it's, has been awesome. Yeah, it really has been fun. And I, I'll be excited to um, get barbecue after this and, 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 and
1: do it again sometime. We will do a part two. Yeah, I'll have uh, you on my podcast. So, I love it. Yeah, You're going to be the voice of the industry. Yeah,
0: that's what I'm told.
1: All right, buddy. Thanks. All right, thanks. Hey everyone, it's Chris here again. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating or write a quick review. Thanks again and I'll see you on the next episode. Chris Powers is the founder and CEO of Ford Capital LP. All opinions from Chris and guests of the Ford Podcast are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Ford Capital LP. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for real estate or investment decisions. The Fort with Chris Powers is produced by Straight Up Podcasts.